Romans chapter 3, verses 19. Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may be held accountable to God. For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes knowledge of sin. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and are justified by his grace as a gift, through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith, this was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who is faith in Jesus. Thanks, Ellie Jane, for reading. Um, we're going to get that in a little bit, but before we do, can I just pray? Heavenly Father, I thank you that we're able to meet around your word, Lord, thank you for it. Lord, I pray that you would be with us and give us the wisdom and the understanding um, that we need to understand it, Lord. We pray this in your son's name. Amen. So last week, Scott was here, and Scott was asking a question. He was asking a question, why did he have to do that? And he was talking about Jesus' life. Why did he have to live? Scott told some lovely stories about his toddler. I don't have a toddler. So I have to tell you some different stories, but I want to ask a similar question. Why did this have to happen? So because I don't have a toddler, I thought I'll talk about some of my failings and some stupid things I've done in my life. The first one I could think of was when I was in fourth year, me and some of my buddies were playing football. Um, loose ball, Murkoff had a bad pass. I tried to pick it up. Went in for a big crunching tackle with big Tom Freeburn, and there we go, A&E the next day, a broken foot. Why did that have to happen? A few years later, I was playing hockey. Some geezer raises his stick, decides to hit me in the face. Teeth all over the show, broken teeth. Disaster. I'm not so handsome now, Scott. Why did that have to happen? Recently, I was playing the odds game with some of my friends. I'm sure you know the odds game. You have to do a dare if you lose the odds. I lost the odds. I have to jump into Port Rush Harbour. I haven't done it yet, but I'm saying it here as a commitment that I will do it. Why did that have to happen? McDonald's the other night. Me and Murkoff and Tom drive through, getting some fizzy drinks. Tom gets his Fanta, takes a sip of his Fanta. It's not Fanta, it's carbonated water with like zero Fanta syrup. Why did that have to happen? Now these are all true, silly things that have happened in my life, but one thing that has happened and is not silly at all, Jesus Christ died on the cross. Why did that have to happen? Tonight, I want to ask three questions. The main one, why did that have to happen? But first, very briefly, I want to look at who. Who did this happen to? This happened to Jesus. So we'll look at that very briefly. Then I want to say what actually happened. And then, why did this have to happen? So first of all, Jesus, who's that? Well, two weeks ago, Henry was talking about a baby who was born in a manger, in a manger 2,000 years ago surrounded by donkeys, sheep, cows, horses, all that sort of carry-on. And Jesus was like no one else in history. Jesus was fully God and fully man. 
Jesus was born and he lived on this earth for 33 years. And last week, Scott said, why do they have to do that? Well, we learned that Jesus came to earth and lived for us. He lived his life for us out of love. Jesus came to save us. Jesus came and lived to help us when we struggle. When I was in school, I did GCSEPE. I don't know if anyone does it. But when I did it, we learned about something called a full marks model. And basically what that is, you would take a football pass and you would look at each individual thing. You'd swing your leg back, you'd line up the ball, swing your leg through, hit the ball, all that. Break it down into the individual parts and try and understand it. If you did that, you could copy it, watch it, learn it, perform it well or even perfectly. And in life, Jesus is our full marks model. Jesus lived a life like no one else has. Jesus lived a perfect life. He never sinned. The way he treated people, the way he talked to people, the miracles he performed, he kept the law, he loved God, and he loved others perfectly. Jesus' life is the perfect example we can follow. And the second question I want to look at quickly is what happened? And to answer that, we need to read a passage from Matthew 27. And instead of listening to me, it's a bit of a chunky one. I thought I'd get Andrew to read it. So, Andrew, could you read that passage for us? As they went out, they found a man of Cyrene, Simon by name. They compelled this man to carry his cross. And when they came to a place called Golgotha, which means place of the skull, they offered him wine to drink, mixed with gall, but when he tasted it, he would not drink it. And when they had crucified him, they divided his garments among them by casting lots. Then they sat down and kept watch over him there, and over his head they put the charge against him, which read, This is Jesus, King of the Jews. Then two robbers were crucified with him, one on the right and one on the left, and those who passed by derided him, wagging their heads and saying, you who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself. If you are the son of God, come down from the cross. So also the chief priests with the scribes and elders mocked him saying, he saved others, he cannot save himself. He is king of Israel. Let him come down now from the cross and we will believe in him. He trusts in God. Let God deliver him now, if he desires him. For he said, I am the Son of God. And the robbers who were crucified with him also reviled him in the same way. Now from the sixth hour, there was darkness over all the land until the ninth hour. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, saying, Eli, Eli, Lema Sabachthani. That is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And some of the bystanders hearing it said, this man is calling Elijah. And one of them at once ran and took a sponge, filled it with sour wine and put it on a reed and gave it to him to drink. But the others said, wait, let us see whether Elijah will come to save him. And Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. And behold, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom and the earth shook and rocks were split the tombs were opened, and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised, and coming out of the tombs after his resurrection, 
they went into the holy city and appeared to many. When the centurion and those who were with him, keeping watch over Jesus, saw the earthquake and what took place, they were filled with awe and said, Truly, this was the Son of God. There were also many women there, looking on from a distance, who had followed Jesus from Galilee, ministering to him, among whom were Mary Magdalene and Mary, mother of James, and Joseph, and the mother of the sons of Zebedee. Is that it? Thanks, Andrew. Uh, that's what happened. Um, that's the account of the crucifixion. And the passage shows it. Um, it's brutal. Jesus was offered sour wine. He was on a cross, nails through his hands, nails through his feet, a crown of thorns on his head. When Jesus was being crucified, there was complete darkness from the sixth to the ninth hour. When he died, the temple curtain was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth shook. Rocks were shattered. Tombs opened up and bodies of the saints appeared to people in the city. This was a big deal. The Son of God had been crucified. Our Savior had been crucified. And that brings us to the main question for tonight. Why? Why did this have to happen? Why did Jesus have to die for us? Just for the sake of being confusing for a minute, I want to say that it didn't have to happen. Romans 6.23 says that the wages of sin is death. We've all sinned and we're all sinners. Romans 3.23 tells us that we all fall short of the glory of God and because of this we deserve nothing but death. 6.23 goes on and says, But the free gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our, Savior, our Lord. Salvation is a gift which has been bought for us, paid by Jesus' blood, on the cross. Our salvation didn't have to happen, but it does because our God is so gracious and so loving and so kind. He loves us so much that he sent his son to die on the cross for us. We owed a debt that we could never pay and God sent Jesus in our place. All of this is so that we could have an eternity with him in heaven. The passage we're looking at tonight is powerful, so I just want to pick out a couple of things that it says. And the first one, me, you, every single one of us, we're responsible to God for our sin. It says it right there in verse 19, the whole world may be held accountable to God. The whole world may be held accountable to God, and that terrifies me. Thank goodness that's not where we end here tonight. The Bible tells us that one day we will have to give an account of ourselves to God. Romans 14, 12 says, For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. For it is written, As I live, says the Lord, every tongue shall confess to God. So then each of us will give an account of himself to God. What would yours look like? What would, what would mine look like? If we're going to be honest, if I'm going to be honest, Mine would be horrifying. I sin every day. I'm a sinner. If I was left to give an account of myself, then you might as well just cuff me now. I don't have a problem telling you how bad I am because we're all sinners. Everyone here is a sinner. The people you think are good, sinners. 
Gilly, Scott, Joy, Henry, John, Nicole, the committee, the, you know, the top dogs, sinners. We're all sin every day. Every person in this building, every person in this world, every single person will be held accountable to God and responsible for their sin. This is the issue. We have a massive heart problem. Our hearts are full of sin. And we learned earlier from Romans 6.23 that the wages of sin is death. So this is not looking good, is it? But let's look a bit further. God sent his son to die for our sin. Verse 21 starts with the word but. And the Oxford Dictionary says that the word but is used to introduce a word or phrase that contrasts with what was said before. So for example, I might say, Lewis, you're looking well tonight, but you smell terrible. You don't really, sorry. Verse 20, we will all be held accountable for our sin. None of us can be justified through works. That's not good. The word but that we see in 21 is glorious. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Now we need to remember here that the key part and a key purpose of the law was to expose and to condemn sin. So whenever God manifested his righteousness, this was separate to the law. The attention wasn't on the law. The attention was on God's son who he sent to die on the cross for our sin. The big thing we need to realize here is that God didn't leave us to deal with our sin on our own. There's nothing we could do. God intervened and showed his love for us. Romans 5 verse 8 says that, but God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Why did this have to happen? If you haven't already worked it out, it says it in verse 23. It literally says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That's why. In our sin, we have forfeited our right to a life lived in the presence of God. Our undealt with sin destroys our relationship with God, and this is why there had to be a sacrifice. Verse 24 and 25 goes on to tell us that while we have all sinned and fallen short, we can be justified by his grace as a gift through Christ Jesus, who God put forward as a propitiation by his blood. The NIV says all are justified freely by his grace through redemption that came by Christ Jesus. And in this text, the word freely is meaning totally undeserved, totally unwarranted, done for no reason. I can't emphasize enough. We deserve nothing. We deserve death. But our God is so gracious, so loving, so kind that he sent his son to pay a debt we could never pay. Just so that we could be with him in heaven. I read a word a minute ago that hopefully you recognize from last week. Scott mentioned the word propitiation. Um, he said it doesn't appear very often. Um, the first time I think I ever saw it was reading this passage. The second time I ever saw it was last week in Scott's talk. So it doesn't pop up that often. But Scott mentioned it, and we learned from it that it means mercy seat or place of mercy. P propitiation 
is where Jesus turns us from people deserving of God's wrath because of the sin in our lives into people who can receive God's mercy. This is because of Jesus' perfect life and the sacrifice he made for us. All of this is only possible because of Jesus' death. Jesus was sent as a propitiation for us to pay a debt we could never pay. This wasn't a small price to pay. We need to recognize the gravity of this. Jesus had to die on the cross because you and me are sinful people. The gift of justification only comes to those who have faith in Jesus Christ. This is the free gift of justification. It's been purchased for us by Jesus' death on the cross and his resurrection. It only comes to those who trust and have faith in him. We see in verse 21 that God has manifested his righteousness apart from the law. The righteousness is defined in verse 22 as the righteousness through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. Philippians 3 verse 9 says something similar. And be found in him not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. Verse 25 of our passage shows us that Christ is a propitiation through faith to be received by faith. Verse 26 says that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. If you trust in Jesus for justification, you'll have it freely. It's that simple. Don't make excuses. I'm not good enough. I'm too young. I don't know enough. I'm not smart enough. It's all nonsense. This is for everyone. The only thing stopping you having a right relationship with God is you. Jesus has been born. He lived. He died on the cross for us and for our sin. He rose again. He ascended into heaven and he is coming back. Don't leave it too late. Please don't say, Christianity, it's just not for me. I'll do it when I'm older. I'll leave that for another day. I'll enjoy myself now, and I'll think about that later. Being a Christian is the best life we can live. It's the only way we can have life with God. It's the life we were meant to have. This gift of justification, of salvation, an everlasting life is for everyone. It's free. All you have to do is trust in Jesus as your savior. Don't be stubborn. One of my brothers, and I'm not gonna say which one, but anytime he's attempting some sort of task, whether it's Lego, um, a big DIY job, whatever it is, the temptation is to try and do it on your own to try and do it without any instruction or anything like that. Now, sometimes, rarely, that works, but more often than not, some crucial part has been left out. The project just doesn't work out, something's not right. I played with them, just follow the instructions. They're right there, they're free, they're not gonna cost you anything. They tell you exactly what you need to know. They'll help you. Things can go wrong quite easily. 
And in our lives, it's easy to try and do it on our own. But when it comes to being justified, it won't work, ever. It just won't. It can't. We'll always fail. We have fallen short of the glory of God. It's hopeless on our own. But God sent his son to show us how to live. He's an example. He's our full marked model. He's given us his word, the Bible, which we can trust completely. And the words we've read tonight tell us that all we have to do is believe and trust in Jesus and our account will be wiped clean. Jesus has taken our place on the cross. He's defeated death just so we could be with him. Don't be stubborn. Come to God with empty hands and accept the free gift of a life with him. Can I pray? Lord, I thank you for your word, the Bible, Lord. I thank you that you loved us so much that you would send your son to die for our sin, Lord. Thank you that even though we deserve nothing, you've offered us a life with you. Lord, I pray that we would think about these things. I pray that we would read these words in our own time. We would consider long and hard about the life we're meant to live. Lord, I pray that we would understand your love for us and we would feel your love for us. I pray we would listen to the words we sing, Lord, and you would be with us the rest of the evening. Amen. Amen.